HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a nonprofit with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Change menus, change lives. Learn more at chefscollaborative.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Well, good evening. Welcome to Thursday night. It's the HRN Happy Hour. Woo! Yay! We're your hosts. I'm Katie. And I'm Kat. Yay. Hello. Thanks, David. And we are here in studio um, thanks to our engineer, David Tatashore, for the beautiful applause. That's me. Thank you. We have also in studio Jordan Werner. She's our Julia Child Food Writing Fellow. Welcome, Jordan. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, what? And shortly we'll have a couple of special guests in studio, um, John Lewis and Ben Garby from Lewis Barbecue in Charleston. So they are en route and we will see them soon. Uh, first off this evening, uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about what's been going on on the radio this week. So uh, we'll start with the thematic episode um, from A Taste of the Past to just today. Uh, host Linda Palaccio had on the Irish-American cookbook author Margaret Johnson to talk about the authenticity, or lack thereof, of the typical St. Patrick's Day meal. Cat, um, any relation? No. Okay. There's a lot of Johnsons out there. That's so weird. So usually there's not any relation. <laughs> So we'll be back at the end of the show to talk a little bit more about St. Patrick's Day and what we are excited about or dreading for Friday. <laughs> and we'll have a special guest to help us in that department as well. Stay um, indoors, folks. Yeah, don't Stay go indoors. If you're in New York City, just, just don't. Um, I will be hiding uh, in my apartment and um, trying to time my dog walks so as not to coincide with the march of um, drunk people through my neighborhood. Yeah, and if you're um, one of those people, just just stop being such a monster. <laughs> I mean, really, come on. We'll try At to least get they're, their tips. They're the easy to spot, like, on yeah. Monday. Like, if they're in green, just, like, cross the street. Yeah. Like, stay away. <laughs> um, I guess we're all feeling, like, a little cranky. It's getting towards <laughs> the end of the week, and we're like, no fun. Um, I would say that any day of the week. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> We're no fun. You're no fun. <laughs> no, um, I would say that about the, the St. Patrick's Day people. Oh, okay. That's what I mean. I feel better. Uh, so also this week, thanks, dude, on Radio Cherry Bomb, uh, there was a very special guest. This is a story that I've heard about um, a few times, and I've never met Lauren. So Lauren Singer is the founder of The Simply Company, which is an organic cleaning product company. And she did an amazing thing where for four years, she kept all of the trash that she generated. So this is anything that's not, um, you know, recyclable, compostable. And she collected it. And the crazy part about this is that it all fit into a 16-ounce mason jar. When I first saw the picture of this, I was like, I couldn't believe that it was possible. I really don't know how it is. I still don't know how it's possible. I think it's so admirable. 
And when I try to think about even just reducing the amount of trash that I generate in one day, I feel like there's more than would fit into that jar in one day. Um, so if this kind of sparks your interest and you want to learn more about maybe your waste generating habits or how you can start to make a difference in your own life, she has a zero waste blog. It's called Trash is for Tossers. And um, so far, that blog has empowered millions of re readers to lead greener lives. And I really encourage you to check that out. It's something that has been really inspirational to me and eye-opening um, as well in my own life. And uh, finally, in the studio yesterday, we had something rather unusual. Did we not? Absolutely. Um, we had a really special episode of The Main Course where we were interviewing, um, well, Phil Gilmore from Momo Sushi Shack interviewed a chef from the UK. His name is Mike Lewis, and he happens to be the executive chef of Yo Sushi. They are opening a new location, their first New York City location. In fact, today is their opening. It's going to be on, excuse me, 23rd Street in Manhattan. And they brought, get this, a sushi conveyor belt into our studio, which in case you haven't been here, our studio is inside of a shipping container. So uh, not like so much room where you might expect to find a sushi conveyor belt, but uh, the team from Yo Sushi was awesome. Uh, I, I don't think I mentioned that the sushi conveyor belt was laden with sushi, which was amazing. Um, so all of us huddled in the engineer booth. We crowded poor Vitor. Uh, like our whole intern team and our entire staff was like gathered in the booth watching these plates of sushi go around and around and around and around for an hour while Phil was doing the interview. No question. <laughs> were, they, were they preparing the sushi in the studio or did they kind of like bring prop sushi? No, it was real sushi. It was fresh, but they made it and they brought it straight here. Okay. They just kind of garnished served it. Served it. Yeah. They, cool. They, there was like some assembly required yeah. for both the conveyor belt and the sushi. Um, but it was really delicious. I don't know if you know, they're a really big chain in the UK. Um, so I wasn't really sure what to expect as far as, uh, you know, like the quality and the um, kind of uniqueness of the sushi that they brought. But it was really delicious. They had like a lot of um, kind of unique ingredients. They also had some special formats. So there was like a little sushi taco kind of thing where the nori was formed into a little U-shaped boat and deep fried. Um, are we getting a sushi taco? Uh, is, is that the sound of us eating sushi tacos? Yeah, it's some sushi ASMR for everybody. Oh, <laughs> David, what's ASMR for our listeners who don't know? Oh, that's like gross. That's crunchy. <laughs> that no, that's so not ASMR. Crunchy. That's that thing where you get filled with rage when you hear the sound of people eating. Is <laughs> what are we okay. listening to? Okay, we all right. We got to move on. <laughs> um, but do check out Yo Sushi on Twenty Third Street in Manhattan. Today is their opening. The food is delicious. And thanks again to Livestream because they made it possible for us to do a Facebook Live broadcast of the conveyor belt full of sushi in studio. And uh, that's been getting a lot of attention on our Facebook page. Uh, please check that that video out if you're interested in learning more. Um, and I just want to have one more highlight of content from last week. This is going to be posted on the HRN on tour page on our website. Um, last weekend, a couple members of our team headed to the heart of the food justice movement to the Just Food Conference, um, which is a conference that brings together more than a thousand community organizers, urban and rural farmers, CSA members, educators, and local food enthusiasts for a full day of workshops and discussions, um, and also uh, not to mention eating delicious food. So um, we had some live tweeting going on from the event. We'll also be posting uh, some blog posts and a bunch of recordings of the keynotes and some of the panels on our website. But Jordan and Werner, our Julia Child fellow, was there. Jordan, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about one of the panels that you were at. Yeah, I was able to, on Monday morning after the opening food talks, head to a panel that was about um, fair wages, and it was called Fair Market Prices from Farm to Table. And that was moderated by the keynote speaker from Sunday afternoon, Davida Davidson, Davidson sorry, of Food Lab Detroit. And it was cool because the panel members sort of went from farm to table themselves. Uh, there was a farmer from Norwich Meadow Farms, Zaid, uh, Diana Robinson of Food Chain Workers Alliance, 
Catherine Barnett of Rock, New York, uh, Rachel Nemeth of ESL Works, and Chef Michael Anthony of Gramercy Tavern. We're all there kind of sharing their perspectives about how we can involve the kind of people who work in the food industry and all those different aspects in the conversations about food justice, um, especially through kind of wages and access to organizing or kind of even just access to tools that get you to access to organizing, like teaching English or um, even educating politicians. So that was a really powerful panel um, because of all the different perspectives that they had and how they were kind of all approaching the same thing really differently. And my favorite quote from it, um, Davida is an incredible speaker. You should really listen to that keynote once we put it up. But she said, we have to have a value chain that is linked to our supply chain. And just talking about um, really thinking about at every point in our supply chain how we're treating people and what we can do to help people that don't necessarily have a voice. Wow. Uh, that sounds amazing. So we'll be able to share a lot of the coverage from that conference. Again, go to heritageradionetwork.org, and in our show lineup page, you can look for Heritage Radio Network on tour to see all the recordings and the blog posts from the Just Food Conference. Uh, and we're always really, really happy to share these kind of um, content specials with people uh it's one of the most valuable things in our archive um for these conferences where if you if you're not able to attend in person we like to keep that all um ready and available for you anytime on demand at heritageradionetwork.org so we're going to go through a couple of quick headlines and then we're going to have a special guest to talk about some current events with us uh, first uh we have to start off with a little bit of sad news i need to get the like wah, wah, wah. Um, that one. Uh, uh, that does it much better than me. Um, so after six years in print, the Lucky Peach magazine is likely going to be releasing its last issue this May. Um, this is the publication that David Chang and Peter Meehan have worked on and won, in fact, nine James Beard Awards during its production, which is amazing. Um even the year that it came out, they won James Beard Awards. So that's just incredible. The magazine is awesome. They had some really good pho recipes in the pho issue that I'm still like planning to make. They're, they seem a little labor intensive, but they sound super delicious. So I have to share. So a lot of people have been sharing their favorite uh, Lucky Peach memories. Most of them you know, wrote for the magazine or were involved in the company. I have a favorite moment in Lucky Peach when I worked for David Chang and took Dave and editor Chris Ying and photographer Gabriele Stabile to an Auburn and Alabama football game. And you can read that article and see pictures from my alma mater in the All You Can Eat issue. And it was arguably the best college football game ever played. It's the Kick Six Iron Bowl game. And so ever since then, I've claimed... stand by that David Chang is Auburn's good luck charm because <laughs> we won that game oh. with one second left and it, it they did like a six page article on it called insane because Chris Yang just like had never experienced what that culture was like before and it ended up being less about the food and more about just like the insanity of college football and very like a, a niche rivalry mm-hmm. but that's what's great about Lucky was it's so great about Lucky Peach is that it didn't necessarily always have to be glamour shots, foodie shots. It didn't have to necessarily be always incredibly food centric. And they allowed people to really write very creatively um, about their experiences. So it's definitely safe to say that Lucky Peach will be missed on yes. our side, but it's not entirely clear if it might live on in some form. Um, Dave Chang says he's keeping all of their options open, but he cannot elaborate further. So stay tuned. Please don't leave us, Lucky Peach. <laughs> um, but speaking of James Beard Awards, in happier news, the James Beard Awards nominees were announced yesterday. Uh, the award winners themselves will be announced in a gala event on Monday, May 1st at the Lyric Opera in Chicago. Um, and they have some new categories this year in the Media Awards, which span books, journalism, broadcast media categories, um, and of course, all of the classic um, categories for the award winners, such as, you know, the restaurant, restaurateur, service, wine program, pastry chef, baker, bar program, uh, rising star chef of the year, and best chefs. 
And we just wanted to say congratulations to all the nominees, and we will definitely be staying tuned to see who takes those prizes in May. And how many nominations did the Heritage Radio Network receive? Um, you know, we did not receive a nomination this year, but you know, um, we had some really uh, great podcasts that I think uh, hopefully we will see in that lineup next year. Snubbed. Yeah, yeah we were snubbed. We're coming for it, James Beard. But, uh, you know, I have, like, really good faith in our content that uh, absolutely. I think is absolutely worthy of oh, recognition. Yeah, and we didn't do anything wrong. No. Um, we did only right. And really, everybody should listen to our um, our big produced special from last year, which was the On the Road with Beer Sessions radio series. Really, really worth a listen. All about craft beverage around New York State. Give you some great ideas for travel. And um, you should get out there and get in there and get a listen to that. Uh, one more quick headline, and then we're going to jump into our next guest interview. Um, Michelle Obama was in the news, uh, former First Lady Michelle, who we miss dearly. Um, but she's still definitely a big player in the food and food policy scene. So she was just on MasterChef Junior, and she challenged the chefs to work with some really kind of exotic ingredients, including Japanese eggplant and French radishes and delicata squash and shrimp. Um, but this episode was kind of special because she um, asked the chefs to follow the My Plate guidelines. So this is like the new iteration of the food pyramid that mm. we grew up with that kind of divides the plate into um, the like the regions so that half the plate should be fruits and vegetables and the rest is kind of divided between lean meats and dairy and whole grains. And it's just like a much easier to understand version of the food pyramid that we grew up with. So really happy to see Michelle Obama out there on TV and continuing to do the great work and um, really inspiring work that she has done since her early days as First Lady. Do you guys watch MasterChef Junior? Absolutely. And strangely enough, I used to uh, live with my fiancé and his little brother, and I would come home from work, and his little brother would be sitting on the couch with a six-pack of beer watching MasterChef Junior, <laughs> and it was probably the strangest thing I've ever seen him do. So. <laughs> I, I love it. I just am, I cannot believe that kids that age are better cooks than I probably will ever be. <laughs> it's it, embarrassing and awesome at the same time. It gives me the same feeling as when I go downhill skiing and the little kids are like <laughs> zipping by me and You're I on just the bunny feel slopes so and they're on black like, diamond. Yeah. I mean, I can like, I can ski, <laughs> but not like, uh, you know, those little kids are so quick and they're fearless. Yeah. Cause yeah. they have, they have no concept of like wrecking their body. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Maybe same thing in the kitchen. They don't like, they don't worry about cutting themselves or burning themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, or abject humiliation. Right. I'm going to confess right now a little known fact about myself is that I actually tried out for MasterChef a few years ago. Not MasterChef Junior, I'm way too old. (laughs) (laughs) But for some reason, I was not chosen. Now, is MasterChef the one where it's home cooks? Yes. Okay. Gotcha. You're going to. Not MasterChefs, ironically. I think I've watched the actual, I've watched MasterChef Junior a lot more often than I've watched. Master I think it's chef. probably way more probably. interesting. Yeah, <laughs> kids are just really cute, you uh, know. Yeah, and Gordon Ramsay kind of reigns it in for the kids. Right. Yeah, and Tosi's on it it's now. It's just like upsetting when he's like screaming at people and they're crying. Yeah, I have to wonder. Um, I mean, I've, I haven't seen very much MasterChef Junior, but I think he's probably pretty sweet to the kids. Oh, definitely. And then you have Christina Tosi on there with him, so oh, she's yeah. like she's bubblegum. So <laughs> people love her, like literally. She's great. I think she's made out of bubblegum. She's awesome. I wouldn't be surprised at this point. She's like <laughs> a human cake truffle. Yeah. Um, so, David, do we have our next guest on the line? We sure do. All right. So now I'd love to talk a little bit about Winter Storm Stella, which walloped a lot of the Northeast. Uh, we were a little bit perhaps overprepared in New York City because we wound up getting mostly slush although and we actually closed the studio on tuesday because we didn't want to put anybody in danger particularly our engineer who has to travel on an above ground train um (laughs) but after the storm it's actually worse because all that slush and snow like compacted into this thick solid ice um but now we have a special guest on the line larry bokel is the general manager of cannonball express transportation in omaha welcome larry thanks for coming on and thanks for having me i appreciate it so can you tell us what Cannonball Express is? And then I want to talk a little bit about the storm. We're a refrigerated tractor-trailer company. Um, we are 100% what we call LTL. 
which is less than truckload. We handle three, four, five pallet orders anywhere in the country. Mm. <clears throat> we run, we load out Friday nights with about 65 trailers that go to all 48 states to start delivering Mondays and Tuesdays. So some of our tractor trailers arrived in the Northeast on Monday morning prior to the storm and made a number of the deliveries. Uh, we did sit, three of our trucks were able to not be able to make it to our delivery locations on Tuesday, mostly because they were off, certain highways were off limits to tractor trailers. But we did have the equipment and the people up there waiting for the businesses to open and the highways to become passable so we could make our deliveries. And all of our freight was off on Wednesday. So we were just had a one-day delay with three of our tractor trailers. Otherwise, all of our equipment got our freight delivered on time. Wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said that you are running all refrigerated trucks. How much of your cargo is food or food industry products? 100% of it. Mm-hmm. We, we run about 1,500 pallets on about 65 trailers out of Omaha. And what's nice about Omaha is we can load Friday nights and deliver anywhere in the country first thing Monday. Mm-hmm. And it's all types of products, your, your ostrich, pork, beef, uh, any kind of protein we transport on our tractor trailers, and it's all refrigerated, all refrigerated meat products. Wow. And were you affected by any power outages caused by the storm? Were there disruptions to the cold chain? Nothing that we were aware of. Most of our receivers called us uh, Monday and told us they'd be closed on Tuesday. Hmm. So no place did we arrive and not have power because we were we were notified of them not bringing their employees in on Tuesday. So there was no power outage that affected our performance. Wow. So how do you handle that if you have to make a delivery and the staff isn't there? We usually have to lay the truck over or we go and make other deliveries where there isn't an issue and then return the following day. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they're back in service and make the delivery a day late. But, uh, you know, just this year, 20... 2016-17 season, we've had very little weather problems related anywhere in the country. It's been it's been very much more relaxing safety-wise for our trucks and trailers and our drivers to perform their jobs because we had very little interference with weather this year. Wow. And so it does seem like we've had kind of an unseasonably warm winter for the most part until this past week, which is like a little mm-hmm. bit um, wild for March to be getting this level of blizzard. Right. Um are the unseasonably warm temperatures affecting crops or affecting uh, refrigeration businesses? Well, that's a good uh, good question. Uh, what normally happens here in the Midwest, because a lot of the cattle and hogs are produced in this, this general region, uh, you have storms where it strands the cattle out in the fields, and then the farmers can't take them to market. So it becomes a supply and demand issue, which affects the pricing, because if you can't get the cattle to the kill operations, you have a lot less meat being produced. And on the other side of the fence, if you see a storm forecasted, some farmers will bring their animals to market earlier than planned because they're not one you put at risk on losing their animals in the fields due to severe weather and storms. So normally on a normal winter, you see the fluctuation because of um, the livestock people monitoring the weather and bringing cattle too, too early or too late from their normal cycle. But this year, we didn't have any of that. Hmm. So it's actually been a, a much milder. The milder winter has made it um, easier for livestock producers. And yes, it has. there'll be uh, fewer price increases related to... That's exactly right. Conditions. There was very little risk to the farmers, and they just performed on a weekly basis on an even level, so it didn't affect the, the markets. Weather did not affect markets at all. Wow. And it, that's you said that's really unusual? Very unusual. Year? In Omaha, we average 31 inches of snow a year, and I think we received about four. Wow. So when you got oh. four inches of rain in a season, I mean, four inches of snow, the cattle are not stranded in the fields, and there's no transportation issues, and the, the cattle haulers can get their their animals to market without any hindrance. Hmm. So, Larry, this is Kat. Um, I was wondering, is that cause like a drop in prices the same way it would cause an increase if you were not able to get cattle? Yeah, if, if they bring their cattle to market early, or they're not able to deliver their cattle to the kill plants for a week or two, then you got twice as amount of cattle coming the following week once the weather clears, which will drive your prices down because now you got twice as much cattle coming to market than demand really is is in within the country. So when you start 
killing or not killing, it affects the supply and demand. But if you can kill, let's say, 10,000 hogs a day and you can do it day after day, it doesn't affect the pricing as much. But if you can kill 10,000 a day for one week and then zero for the next five days due to weather, then what you got is 20,000 head needing to be killed for the next five days once the weather clears and you got twice as much production, hmm. twice as much cattle or hogs going to market, and that'll drive the prices down for short term, but it does affect the prices. Wow. Larry, can I ask you now for a couple of forecasting questions? Sure. So one thing I'm really curious about is, um, you know, officially the drought in California is over, which is great. They've been getting tons of rain. They had a really rainy January. Um, Is that going to have an effect on produce markets this summer? It may. Uh, the effect on the produce has really been in the last five years when they had such a drought. With the weather and the moisture back where they're 100%, it should even out the costs. Mm-hmm. So I think you've seen the fluctuations behind us, and I think your produce costs are going to be pretty leveled out this year because they have enough water to not to have to ration and affects their crops and growing seasons. Wow. So we don't have to keep being mad at everybody who's drinking almond milk. Not anymore. Okay. <laughs> I think I read one, one place where most of the bottled water comes from California, and they're in, they were in a drought for five years, wow. which makes very little sense, but right. yes. That's uh-huh. bizarre. Um, okay, next forecast question. Um, right now, Georgia and surrounding areas are having um, some out-of-season extra cold weather, and I know there have been concerns about the frost affecting crops there. Have you heard anything about what might be the outcome of that situation? No, and I understand what you know what the reasoning is behind the orange crops and so on and so forth. But the weather really hasn't been that much of an effect. And what you're hearing and what we hear is very short-term affecting. That mm. does very little to the crops. But I know you know I know little to nothing about orange crops. But when they do have freezes, they'll just make a lot more orange juice and grind it up, and you won't see the full orange in your Sam's or Costco's. So and if you do, the prices will be higher. But there is a market for it if there is damaged crops, but as far as I'm concerned, the weather has very little effect on the 16th and 17th year of this, you know, this uh, cycle where it's going to affect your produce very much at all because there just hasn't been any harsh winters. Wow. This is so interesting, Larry. Thank you. You're uh, next up, we have a story uh, about trucking and grammar. I wonder if you might be able to hang on the line for a minute so we can get your reaction to this. Do you have a sec? Yeah. I did read the story and I, I understand it, but I don't I don't really have any input. I it's mind it's mind shaking to you know, it's one of those things somebody wants to sue for something and they win and you shake your head and say how they did that. So I just don't know, you know, uh don't really have any input other than it's just kind of a oddity that somebody could, you know, go through that process in the courts and win win that type of money for what uh, was, I think a comma was in the wrong place or something. But uh, Yeah, I'll we're like, going to have Jordan tell that. the story of the comma um, and the, the truckers in Maine. But Larry, I wanted to say thank you so much. That was so fascinating to You're get welcome. your take on the effect of winter storm Stella and the, the this kind of wild winter that we're having in 2017. Thanks so much for calling Thanks, in today. Larry. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. That was Larry Bokel, general manager of the Cannonball Express Transportation Company, LLC, in Omaha, Nebraska. So uh, we had a little bit of a teaser there. We want to really build up the suspense. Jordan, what does the Oxford comma have to do with the trucking industry? Everything. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, David. Um, So this week there was a class action lawsuit that had to do with overtime pay for truck drivers in Maine. And it hinged entirely on this grammatical debate that has bitterly divided friends and families, created foes, and it's about the, some say the dreaded, I say the totally necessary, Oxford comma. And I think that... I second that. Yeah. We're all team Oxford comma here. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and if you want to fight about it... society. <laughs> call us it. Call it. And we'll fight about it. We're living in a society, <laughs> <Terry>. people. <laughs> um, so there was a 29-page court decision that was handed down on Monday. And it could cost um, the Oakhurst Dairy Company an estimated $10 million. And that's because in 2014, um, three truck drivers sued Oakhurst Dairy seeking more than four years' worth of overtime pay that had been denied to them. And it has to do four with... Four years of overtime is 
excuse me, a shitload. Yeah. A significant amount. Yeah. Um, I think it said it would be these truck drivers earn between $46,000 and $52,000 a year, and they each worked on average of 12 extra hours a week above the 40-hour limit. So um, the way the main law is written, it has some exemptions, and this court case is built on one of those exemptions, which... Um, I'm going to read the law, and I'll maybe Kat can point out where the comma... Um, yeah, I'll say comma when there's a comma. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> the overtime rules do not apply to the canning... Comma. Processing... Comma. Preserving... Comma. Freezing... Comma. Drying... Comma. Marketing... Comma. Storing... Comma. Packing for shipment or distribution of agricultural produce, meat and fish products, and perishable foods. I sense a distinct lack of comma in that last section. There was no comma after packing for shipment or distribution of. So does the law intend to exempt the distribution of the three categories? Or does it mean to exempt packing for the shipping and distribution of them? If only we had a society with rules about <laughs> grammar and punctuation. <laughs> the thing that was nuts to me reading some of the stuff about this was the how certain publications lay out whether, when you're supposed to use the comma, whether or not you can use the comma, and like how those rules change from place to place. And one of the things that really made me laugh was if someone had written, if you are unsure whether or not to use the Oxford comma throw away what you wrote and start again <laughs> trying to deal with it. And I think we should just use it all the time. Well, my thing is it never hurts right. to use it. Mm-hmm. It it only makes things clearer. So that's my argument for. I mean, isn't this the famous one of like, are you ready to eat, comma, grandma? Versus, exactly. are you ready to eat grandma? Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I'm not, for the Now record. I'm not so no. sure. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's pretty important. Yeah. It's life or death. It really is. Well, it's or, a, now it's a legal literally. matter. It's a legal matter. And this wasn't the first case that had to do with grammar. There were several other um, previous court cases that had to do with the Oxford comma. It's also known as the serial comma. It helps you. I don't like that. And this isn't... <laughs> That's confusing. And also, we can put this, like, sentence on, on our episode page so people can, like, look and, and actually visualize because mm-hmm. it may be a little bit hard. But to me, this isn't one of those technicality things where I'm like, oh, well, they clearly meant this. I really, by reading this, do not know what they meant. So I think that they have a total solid argument. I agree. Me too. <laughs> We're all united here. <laughs> We're um, a society of laws. So uh, we'll put that on the episode page, let you guys mull it over. If you want to fight about the Oxford comma, you can call us or email us anytime, and we will be happy to have that discussion. Uh, We all feel it's really important. Uh, We're going to need to take a quick break to have a word from our sponsor, and we will be right back to talk some more about what's happening this week. program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a national nonprofit network with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Chefs Collaborative members work to make sustainable practices second nature for every chef in the United States. Chefs Collaborative was founded in 1993 by visionary chefs including Rick Bayless and Alice Waters who acknowledge the influential role of food professionals on our food choices, our collective personal health, the vitality of cultures, and the integrity of the global environment. Chefs Collaborative believes that the greater culinary community can be a catalyst for positive change by expanding the market for good food and helping to preserve local farming and fishing communities. Change menus, change lives. 
Learn more about Chef's Collaborative at chefscollaborative.org. Welcome back to the HRN Happy Hour. I'm Kat, and I'm sitting here with my co-host Katie. And Hi. we also have Jordan hey. in the studio. Do you guys want another round? Let's do another round. Yeah. All right, you got it. <laughs> get some. Uh, get that on the mic. I was pouring beer. It's, I'm a pretty it's too quiet beer pourer. <laughs> um, so one other thing that we wanted to talk about that's coming up this week is Persian New Year. Oh, here's my cup. There you go. Thanks. Um, Persian New Year is taking place this Tuesday at midnight, um, and it's a, a celebration that marks the beginning of spring. And it mar- this year is going to be year thirteen ninety six on the Persian calendar, um, and it also includes thirteen days of celebration. One major thing that is done on on Persian New Year is a a big feast where it's a bunch of shared plates. And it revolves around these seven S's, which includes a bunch of different things that I don't know how to pronounce, but it's basically a dining cloth, um, wheat, barley, or herbs, a sweet pudding, um, oleaster, 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 garlic, apple, sumac, and vinegar, and each of these things that you consume in this feast represent different things. Um, I'm gonna try to say the seven S's. I think it's important. Okay, so pardon my pronunciation. The dining cloth is sofra, and then the wheat, barley, herbs, sabza, samanu. We have senjed, sir, sib, somek, and sirka. Yeah. I probably butchered that, but I wanted to get those seven S's. Um, but can we talk about sumac for a second? Sure. Do you, how, do you have feelings about sumac? Not strong feelings, no. I had a dish that was uh, it was at Danielle, a very bougie dinner that my um, fiance took me out to for my birthday, and I had venison loin that was crusted oh, with yum. sumac, mm. and I that was the first time I remember having it or noticed that I was having it, and I would say I'm team sumac. I am a hundred percent team sumac. <laughs> I love sumac so so much. Also, so I just want to quickly wrap up and say in advance of next Tuesday, happy Persian New Year. Um, And I, for my own part, will be making a point to go and eat some sumac crusted things. And I also really like to just like throw a ton of sumac and lemon into a salad dressing. Uh, So I will write a note to myself to do that on Tuesday in observation of Persian New Year. Um, and I'm really happy to say that we just had our two special guests come join us in the studio. Uh, we have with us John Lewis and Ben Garby from Lewis Barbecue in Charleston. Hi, guys. Long time no see. Hey. <laughs> Hello again. Happy to be here. Uh, how was your trip out? It was good. Uh, we got here just in time for the snow, and or actually the after effects of the snow. Um, but it's really cold in Charleston right now, too, so... Believe it or not, it's like 35 degrees in Charleston. Oh, God. 
Um, we'll catch you guys. Do you want to give these guys their proper introduction? I'm just yes. so excited to see you here. Thanks so, for coming in. Well, I'll also let you guys like talk about yourself a little bit, too. But we met you guys in Charleston a couple weeks ago for Charleston Wine and Food Festival. And Lewis Barbecue, your barbecue restaurant, was our first stop when we landed. Awesome. Yeah. It was the best possible way yeah. to oh start Oh, my God. <laughs> David. David was there, too. <laughs> so why don't I let's just let you start by telling us... How, I mean, because Lewis Barbecue's only been open for seven, seven, eight months. We opened uh, June twenty eighth, June twenty eighth yeah. of two thousand sixteen. So eight and a half months. Tell us About how you got it all started. Uh, just a lot of work. <laughs> well, we started in the summer of two thousand and fourteen, um, doing. I'm sorry, the summer of two thousand fifteen, doing pop ups at Revelry Brewery every Saturday, and we did fourteen of those um, on Saturdays. John came to Charleston um, in two thousand. And 14, the year before, and did an event at Holy City Brewery that I was an attendance of, and um, he did it with Rodney Scott. It was the Charleston Brownwater Society barbecue um, event, and he did his brisket and hot guts and beef ribs, and Rodney Scott did his whole hog barbecue, and I think he just kind of fell in love with the town and yeah. thought it would be a good spot to do something with, so... Um, I got on board with him about two years ago, and we did all the pop-ups together and got the town really excited about us. And then when we opened, uh, we opened with a bang. That's awesome. I'm really excited about you, and I'm an out-of-towner, but I'm sending everybody now there. Yeah, for sure. Um, John, you're originally from Texas, and you cook Texas-style barbecue. Yeah. I'm actually, I actually was born in Brooklyn. Oh, really? Yeah. Welcome home. Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, I grew up in El Paso, Texas, and then I moved to Austin when I was 18, and I'm in Charleston now. I heard that you, or I read that you got your first smoker when you were 18. I did. It was my birthday present. Why why was that what you wanted for your birthday? I had just moved to Austin and started experiencing the Central Texas barbecue and was trying to emulate it. And I also read, this is one of my favorite quotes I saw, that you said that cooking brisket's a bitch. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> Why? Why is that harder than others? Um, well, if you're cooking a whole pack of brisket, you got something that's like a half inch thick on one end and then five inches thick on the other end and trying to make it all turn out the same at the same time. And uh, it doesn't have very much marbling in it, so it's really easy to dry it out. And it takes a really long time to cook, like 18 hours. Wow. It's finicky. Yeah, so we're cooking tomorrow for CBS This Morning, and um, we are doing spare ribs and beef ribs because we don't want to cook brisket. (laughs) (laughs) But they still take a long time. about 12 hours. Mm -hmm. Did you start them already? They are, uh, well, we have them prepped and we'll get them on at about midnight tonight. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, is anybody sleeping? Not much. Not no, much. not, not, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> we're here not for, for the weekend. Days. Yeah, we're here for the weekend after, mm-hmm. um, after the, uh, the taping tomorrow. So we get to play for a couple of days. Wow. That's so cool. Nice. So when is that going to air? Saturday morning. Saturday morning. Wow. Mm-hmm. Cool. CBS this morning. All right. So tune in, everybody. Yeah, the dish segment. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah. And then, Ben, you were in New York working at Big Apple Barbecue? Yeah, so I kind of, before I even got um, hooked up with John, I got the opportunity to come up here with Rodney Scott um, about three years ago and went to Big Apple Barbecue and got to meet a lot of the barbecue people and, you know, these guys that are definitely a big part of my life right now and um, volunteer just pretty much um, pulling apart whole hog all day for, you know, eight to ten hours a day um, in the summer. It was really hard. (laughs) It was fun, and it was cool to, like, learn about um, and work with Rodney because he's such a cool guy and always has some great music playing in the background. He's got the slow jams hopping all the time. Um, but yeah, it was like physically pretty, pretty draining. Um, but it was, it was a lot of fun. Are you guys planning on doing Big Apple Barbecue or a big event like that anytime soon? We were tossing around the idea of coming up here during that time to do a pop-up somewhere, Okay. but not, 
necessarily yeah. that mm-hmm. thing. I can't imagine that's a lot of barbecue to serve. It's a lot of barbecue to serve. Yeah. It's crazy. So going back to Charleston, when we were in Lewis Barbecue, you guys showed us a tour of the, is it the pit room? The pit room, <laughs> smokehouse. Yeah. Can you kind of describe that, that area to everybody? It's very intense. Oh, uh, it's got four giant barbecue pits in it that I built with my father in Austin. Uh, they're about, tw- each of them's 22 feet long, about four feet wide. And uh, there's a lot of fire happening in there. <laughs> it gets really warm in the summertime. What else can I say about it? They're these big black tanks. They look like... um submarines, submarines kind of. mm-hmm. people in charleston call it call them the hunley i know we've been kind that's of thro- awesome that's an awesome reference throwing around the idea of having some sort of contest where um we get our um customers to maybe name them or do something through eater or something and then um get like little plaques or something because you can see them from the patio mm-hmm. and um name the name the smokers we haven't done that yet though and that's another thing about the smokehouse we have a big outdoor dining area and you can watch everything that's happening in the smokehouse while you're eating can i propose a name for one of the smokers of course smoky mix smoker face smoky mix smoker (laughs) (laughs) because bodie mcboatface launched this week so i have to throw out my submarine Mm. reference (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's what that's the the danger of having like an internet contest exactly people get to have to commit all the way absolutely so they can be as ridiculous as we (laughs) want them to be they do not have to be if you heard about that Band Diarrhea Planet. Uh-huh. Oh they, yeah, that's how they got there. No they way. Lost, they lost a bet. They lost a bet. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> They're pretty good too, but not suitable for your grandmother's CD player. Oh man. You mean cassette tape? Yeah. Cassette I'm like, wait, my grandmother has a CD player. <laughs> that's like from the future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, you guys have young grandmothers. They have cassette tapes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so my grandmother else? was really into ham radio, I have to say, <laughs> oh, which cool. might be part of the reason where I now work at a radio station. My grandmother had the police scanner that oh, she would, yeah. still does. Yep, she would just like sit and drink her oh, yeah. instant coffee and listen to the police scanner <laughs> and see what was happening in Culpeper, Virginia. Well, is that really small? It's pretty small. Yeah, so we always knew we couldn't get in trouble because <laughs> Graham, Graham Myrtle, that's what we call her. She was, she's listening. Always <laughs> listening. <laughs> is awesome. she listening to our show? Uh, I don't think she knows how to stream internet radio. We should send her a link. Does yeah. she have an iPhone? Yes. Oh, we'll see. Yeah, we can we can get her. I'll, I'll send her a podcast. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I got my grandmother a web TV for back in the late '90s, and she never figured it out. <laughs> um, John, I want to come back to what you said that you built those smokers with your dad. Yep. And uh, speaking of, you know, technology, um, were, were you always a tinkerer? Did you work on cars? How did you decide that you were going to DIY those smokers? And how did you get the skills and the tools to be able to do that? Um, I was trying to make a product that other pits wouldn't make for me. So I figured I had to just make it myself. And I taught myself how to weld, uh, read a bunch of books, stuff. Found out what tools I needed and just started doing it. So kind of a cool story. We went to Austin last December. So not this December, but the past December. And we finished up the pits. And John had worked on the pits for, you know, over a year. And uh, myself and the kitchen manager, Philip, went down there for a couple of weeks to kind of finish them off. And when we were coming back about an hour and a half into the trip, we uh, busted an axle on this big flatbed truck we had. And John and those guys just happened to have all their welding equipment with them. And instead of taking it to a shop like most normal people would do, we went to a a farm supply store and got all the parts for it. And they were out in a Houston um, industrial park and fixed it themselves. And we were off and running in a few hours. And we broke a fence at the same time. Absolutely. (laughs) Which we had to weld Did you fix the fence? We welded it back. (laughs) That's like, leave it at least as good or better than you Uh, found it. That was the ultimate (laughs) DIY project. Wow. Amazing. Um, and what else are you doing in New York this week? Mm, playing around, eating, playing. We're excited to maybe get a Roberta's Pizza after this. I think we can think hook you up. Yeah, we can help you out. And there. Wherever that can be so arranged. Far. We went to 
first thing off the plane, we went to Peter Luger's, yes. which I had never been oh, to wow. before, which was an, an experience. Yes, we had the ribeye for two, and we had the tomato and onion, and John got the recipe for the tomato and onion from our server, and it's tomato and, and onion. onion. Sliced. Oh, oh wow. That's each. really complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was, the steak was great, and we had a really good experience there. And then wow. we went to Wild Air last night. What else have we done? We went to... We saw Stephen Colbert. Yep, we went to Octavian and Stephen Colbert. And we realized that you have to plan about 30 minutes for each two miles that you travel here. Well, especially right now. I took a a car yesterday, and it just took forever to get anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, our our roads really are still pretty much covered in, like, sheets of ice. They're like the little pathways that they plowed that are completely bare and then it's like impossible what was the name of the place we had lunch at today north end grill fantastic. danny meyer yeah. it oh. was excellent so we had the um we had the fortune to have danny meyer and a lot of um his hospitality group coming to lewis barbecue during charleston wine and food and um his book setting the table um is something that i give to all the managers at lewis barbecue we really try to have hospitality come first um, with everything that we do. So it meant a lot for him to come in, and um, apparently they're all raving about Lewis Barbecue now. So nice. we were happy to check out some of his places, and we are tinkering around with maybe going to Gramercy Tavern um, later this weekend. Awesome. I would recommend you definitely it. should. Yeah. Um, tonight we're going to go see our friend Damon Weiss, Chef Damon Weiss. At, what's the name of this place? His new place. It's somewhere over here. Google it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you guys are going to be in town for St. Patrick's Day. Um, we have another guest on the line that we're going to talk to a little bit about, like, what is St. Patrick's Day like in Manhattan? But do, are you planning to observe, or are you just going to take a nap after your CBS taping? Maybe a green beer, but that's about it. I don't know. Do we need to observe? You either need to, like, observe or hide. Retreat yeah. or hide. Okay. Well, it's, retreat. It's, you go, it's either all in or all out with this, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's swarms of people in green clothes just being belligerent. Yeah, kind of Mardi Gras. You want all out. You yeah. Definitely, you definitely want all out, that's mm-hmm. for sure. It's probably the closest thing New York maybe has to Mardi Gras. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Except yeah, there's it, a lot more of you. There's like SantaCon and oh uh, God, St. Patrick's Day, and I think they're kind of competing on par. for worst. Yeah, <laughs> and where so is it happening? Everywhere it's or everywhere. everywhere? You can't escape. It's like mostly like I would say like mid like Midtown Downtown Manhattan. Yeah, I mean if you like, if you like can kind of stay in the boroughs or you know. So what should we be eating tomorrow in celebration of St. Patrick's Day? Well, you should listen to this week's episode of A Taste of the Past because okay. um, we had a segment on there about um, whether the like typical corned beef and cabbage St. Patrick's Day meal is actually authentic. Spoiler alert, it is not. <gasps> um, but uh. the only thing that is is the soda bread. So I would say eat some soda bread. Um, and potatoes? Yeah, Potatoes. Although, you know, they kind of ran out of potatoes for a while. But um, yeah. I would say eat some eat some potatoes, eat some soda bread, drink a green beer. Also, I think this is like a kind of holiday where you just have to scrub worrying about authenticity. Yep. Um, Check it off the list. We have our next guest on the line is um, Jimmy Carboni. He is the host of Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network, our veteran host. And he's also the owner of Jimmy's number 43 on East 7th Street in Manhattan. Jimmy, you there? Hey, guys. How are you? Hey. Um, how are you doing? Well, we're, we're good. You're probably... Well, first of all, you're busy tonight. You have a pop-up coming up tonight. What's your pop-up? we got our good buddy, Ben Conniff, who's the co-owner of Loose Lobsters. Uh, he's doing an ACLU fundraiser uh, four-course dinner with everything from mussels and crabs cakes. And he's working with some of the special seafood... Uh, suppliers he works with out of Maine. Sweet. So that's pretty fun. So we're just setting up right now. Nice. Do you still have tickets on sale? Uh, it, it sold out. It, it, it's also Ben's birthday dinner, so Aww. he's had 50 tickets and they sold out. So. Nice. And all, all the food proceeds are going to the ACLU. So That's awesome. Um, okay, so, uh, Jimmy, since we can't put in any plugs for people to buy tickets to, to the dinner, <laughs> um, you must also be bracing yourself for tomorrow. Uh, St. Patrick's Day. Well, I, I want to tell you, it's funny how you guys talk about <laughs> St. Patrick's Day. You're true. You're right. Um, to me, it is kind of like New York's uh, Mardi Gras. 
And, you know, I grew up in an Irish Catholic church in New, in New England, even though my family is Italian. So I, I kind of grew up with St. Patrick's Day, and I was often on the, the, the bad end of it. You know, if I didn't wear green to school, I was actually made to stand out in the hallway. So Wait, really? Um, oh yeah, there's, it's, 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 there's very deep roots, and I've done some bad things a few years ago. <laughs> Jimmy's number 43 is, is always about really Jimmy. good craft beer. And when I opened in 2005, there really weren't any uh, Irish craft beers that were really available in the States. So I would, I would say I was going to do a U.K. beer night with uh, English beers. And the second year I did it, I actually got some threatening phone calls what? about it. So there's very deep animosity. I mean, you know, the Irish are under the English thumb, and there's a lot of very deep. So it's definitely Irish pride. And I, I would, I, so I wouldn't knock St. Patrick's Day. I think that I'm going to defend it and that it really is the day for Irish Americans. And, you know, in this country, we're talking about immigrants. They went through a lot. When they first came, they were the lowest of the low, escaping the potato famine. Mm -hmm. So you have to give them credit that the pride they have is that, you know, they, they were escaping poverty and they were under the English Empire. So um, on, a, on a good note, we just had a, a tasting this week. It's funny, this week is the week about Irish craft whiskey. Because on Tuesday, oh. a friend of ours, Jeff Cialetti, who's the author of a book, uh, The Year of Drinking Adventurously, he was at Jimmy's number 43 uh, tasting some, some Irish craft whiskeys. And then the next day, in the New York Times, Eric Asimov's column, it's very rare that he writes about spirits. He wrote a really great column about Irish craft, craft whiskeys. So cool. uh, we, have one on t we have one here at Jimmy's. It's called uh, the West Cork. It's a 10-year-old uh, single malt Irish craft whiskey. So, you know, th there are products coming up. You know, that, that's, I think that's what I'm celebrating tomorrow is we, we've, we've, we've met and, 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 and had over the years a number of new Irish craft ciders. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's one really great I Irish craft brewery called the Porterhouse. It's been around for a while. And we have, we have a few of these Irish craft whiskeys. So, you know, Ireland is a great agricultural country. They have some of the best cider apples in the world. Um, only recently have the craft producers really been able to shine. They were under the thumb of a big... The problem with Ireland is there were so many these big names, you know. Mm. It was Jameson's, and there's, you know, people think of Jameson's, they think of Guinness, and they think of, you know, Balmore's and some of these other... Um, you know, mass-produced ciders, but the core ingredients, you know, it's a great country for agriculture, you know? Yeah, so Jimmy, we, they, we wanted to talk for, about how we... Malt, and they've got, they've got great apples for cider. Yeah, we so, want to talk about I'm how, actually, like, we... I'm excited about St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were... that has restored my faith, Jimmy, yeah. and also, like, to hear you talk about the meaning of the holiday is uh, really special because I think that, like, especially in my neighborhood in the East Village, the meaning can sometimes get lost. Um, and so it's really nice to hearken back to that and also to um, the way that you're observing it, which is a celebration of the Irish agricultural heritage and cultural heritage of brewing, distilling. Um, so that makes me more excited to observe <laughs> the day and uh, definitely to encourage everybody to swing by Jimmy's number 43 yeah, how, on How's your conversation Street. going? You guys have some good guests on? We have great guests, the best guests. We have um, Ben Garvey and John guests. Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> best guests. Believe me. From Lewis Barbecue in Charleston. So uh, you may have seen those guys when you were down there last Sunday. Yeah. One place I wanted to go, I didn't get to go to. Well, uh, next trip. Next trip. Definitely. Uh, uh, the other thing I wanted to plug also, the last thing is, yeah, it's, you know, in establishment in New York, you're right, this is, St. Patrick's Day is kind of the New York's Mardi Gras. And, and for better or worse, I think the big issue is ages, the age of the people, mm. also the price point. You know, if, if there, there are a number of, you know, bars that are, that are big that are selling, you know, cheap specials, we don't do that. And I, I think that most people kind of miss out on what St. Patrick's Day could be. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we're going to be open with regular pricing. We don't have cheap drinks. We have good products. And tomorrow afternoon we're actually going to have a lunch uh, from our local Ukrainian butcher. We're going to have out different cured and sliced meats, meats that they make. Um, nice. So, you know, we're trying to represent what we are. We have some slow food people coming at one. They're going to sit around and have lunch. Um, and definitely going to drink a lot of beer and cider. So. Wow, that sounds awesome. Well, Jimmy, I'm going to try to stop by and see you tomorrow if I can make it through the, uh, the throngs <laughs> tomorrow night because that sounds awesome, and I will happily pay full price for beer that doesn't have green stuff in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, no thanks. And I really want to try those ciders. So thanks so much for being on. We are just about out of time on the HRN Happy Hour, but I want to say a big thank you to all of our guests, Jimmy Carboni, and to Larry Bokel, who called in from the Cannonball Express. 
us and to John Lewis and Ben Garby in studio with us. Lewis Barbecue! Lewis yeah. Barbecue! Also, thanks to our Julia Child fellow, Jordan Werner. Thanks to my co-host, Kat Johnson. Thank you, Katie. And of course, to our ever-fabulous engineer, David Tattashore. <laughs> That's going to bring us to the end of our hour. We'll see you next Thursday on the HRN Happy Hour. listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.